Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode. We have an interesting one. It's with Samantha Bush. Samantha Bush is a wife to NASCAR champion Kyle Bush, mother to six-year-old Brexton Bush, author, entrepreneur, lifestyle blogger, infertility warrior, philanthropist, and co-owner of a professional race team. Bush's first book, Fighting Infertility, was published on March 30th, 2021. In the book, she shares a raw and personal account of an infertility journey that has spanned nearly a decade. This was really interesting for me to hear people of Samantha's stature, grace, and compassion. She truly just was so real and honest about the struggles and ups and downs of relationships when it comes to infertility, self-doubt when it comes to infertility, and how to push through and fight for that goal and that journey that I know my wife know too well, and it was so amazing to chat with her about her infertility journey. So let's get right into it. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. As y'all know, my wife and I went through infertility, and it's so interesting that until you go through that world and that journey, for some reason, you don't know it exists that often. And when you're in it, all of a sudden, you start seeing the world and people posting, talking about it so openly. But then you have people who come along who really blow it out of the water in a great way. And Samantha Bush wrote a book, Fighting Infertility, and it came out in March 2021, I think that's the year we're in right now. It gets confusing. And people of that openness and vulnerability in such a real way make people like me get through it in an easier way. So I had to reach out. Samantha, can you please introduce yourself to the listeners and then we can get into the conversation and uh, boost your ego a little bit. Oh, all right. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, As you mentioned, my name is Samantha Bush. I'm author of Fighting Infertility and co-founder of the Bundle Joy Fund, um, which I am so excited to talk about later on the show. And I am excited to chat, answer all your questions. Like I said, I wrote a book, so I'm an open book. So whatever you want to... So the funny thing is, is that I've always wanted to write a book, but writing a book takes a lot of effort. What pushed you, right? You're like, yeah. yeah. What pushed you to writing a book versus a blog or an Instagram post, maybe something smaller or simpler? What pushed you to make it that official or bigger? Sure. So it was a few things. So we started our infertility journey around 2014. Um, and this was a time, gosh, dating ourselves, right? before Instagram was really big, before all these support group apps were big. And so I just felt really alone and very confused why I was so young and not being able to have a child. I was 25, almost 25, 26 when we started trying. Um, And so I just, I didn't understand like what I was doing wrong. Was I the only person going through this? And so I started journaling as a form of therapy, just kind of writing it all down you know, just a way to vent because I really didn't feel comfortable talking to anybody about it yet, except Kyle, my husband. Um, and so obviously I had all the journals and then when we did eventually go through IVF and we got pregnant with our Brexton, we announced our struggle. Um, and then throughout the years, we've always told bits and pieces, like we're doing an embryo transfer or we had a failed cycle or we went through a miscarriage, whatever it might be. 
But I thought, you know, it would be really good for everybody to have the full backstory and the whole context of each event in our infertility journey that's happened so that they can kind of learn from our mistakes or see what we got right or feel less alone. And so that's kind of how the whole book idea came to be. And and that's a beautiful answer to explain such a real, like, birthing of such a hard thing to even write about. Like a self-help book is one thing, but writing something personal like that personal, I find an amazing feat. What was that like? Now you and your husband are in the public eye more than normal people, right? Your husband's a race or NASCAR, right? And he's, he's out there and driving and, you know, in the public eye doing really cool things. And, you know, this is not about him at all. Like, don't worry, we're not going to chat about him. I'm not a big, I'm a big fan of your husband's, but I'm not a big racing fan. I hope that's okay. Um, (laughs) but in the end being in the public eye, how was that opening that book or opening that story in such a detailed way with that kind of platform? Yeah. I mean, The platform was great to bring awareness to the topic, yes, but you're right in that there is a lot of things that are deeply personal that we talk about in the book. We talk about, obviously, what's infertility. It's your sex life, right? So there's a lot of details about that. There's a lot of talk on what infertility and a miscarriage can do to your marriage and how... You know, you might see one thing on Instagram, but it's not always rainbows and puppies. It's it's hard. It's real life. Um, and then I wanted to share, as I had mentioned, the arguments, the fights, the tears, the hard times, because I didn't want to write this book and people going through infertility read it and be like, wait, that's not how I feel. Like, that, that's not all of it. So I didn't sugarcoat it at all because I wanted my readers to say, me too. I feel that I feel less alone because I no longer feel crazy because somebody else just wrote about the same thing that I'm feeling. And that's where I found a lot of my comfort from, um, was just speaking with other women who had already been through certain trials like a miscarriage. And I was able to reach out to them and talk to them and and hear how they coped or what they went through. And it helped me in my own journey. And so that was really the whole meaning behind the book is hopefully people reading our journey will help them through theirs, whether, as I mentioned, it's, you know, being an advocate for themselves, feeling less alone, just understanding what journey might lie ahead for them. And obviously an infertility journey is in no way one size fits all, but there are a lot of common themes of feeling less than a lot of the times or feeling scared or feeling heartbroken. And so I think that's the the biggest thing that I've gotten from people are they've said, I just feel heard. That's, that's the most we can do for someone. Right? As a therapist, one of the biggest things that I do as a therapist is, is help people be heard. Just to listen, to have someone listen to you, even if it's not good or whatever it is, no judgment, just to listen. And that is sometimes so lost in society and the world we live today. You know, you touched on the beginning. I wrote a few notes for me to touch on to make sure I get it across as you were talking because I was getting so excited about asking the questions, is that you felt alone. Was there a preconceived notion or something that you were brought up in a way where that wasn't talked about or didn't realize because statistically one in like eight couples go through infertility. Um, Of course, those numbers probably change depending on the year and who you ask and what study shows it. But why was there, why was that preconceived? Can you talk about maybe how you were raised and what led you to that assumption? Well, I think a big thing was obviously, you know, raised in an Italian family, 
sure some family members might not have had as many kids as my Noni did, but my dad was one of six, came from a big family. But even more so, what was really hard in that moment was, and I talk about it in the book, it was essentially the NASCAR baby boom. Everybody was having kids. And so it was really hard every time we stepped out on pit road to a parents over and over and over. When are you having kids? Why aren't you having kids? Don't you want kids? I don't understand why you're not having kids. So-and-so's having kids. And it was just to this level of like nonstop that then you kind of internalize that and you're like, well, they're having kids and they have kids and they have kids. What, what's wrong with us? Mm -hmm. I talk about being your own advocate because I was trying to kind of talk to my doctor about it. And I got that very standard, "Eh, it hasn't been a year, don't worry, it'll happen, la la la. And now knowing what I know now, knowing the strides this community's made in the last decade, there's at-home tests that we can take. You know, I could have spoken up and been like, no, I would like blood work and an ultrasound. But at that time, I didn't have the confidence I have now. I didn't have the support groups that are out there now. And that was, that's a really big thing too, why I wrote the book. You know, I'm a very outgoing person. I have no problem jumping in on an app and being like, hey guys, anybody going through this? But if you're not that type of person, maybe there's something that you could learn in the book, or maybe it'll help you to find somebody. Or I talk a lot about therapy in there, you know, um, gosh, for a while there, our marriage, it, it went to shit. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> Infertility is hard. Yeah. And it, so it, it like sucks the life out of you at times because it's so ingrained in everything that you're thinking about every situation. And and you're right. As you said, in the beginning of it, my gosh, when you realize you're going through infertility, everything around you, you notice every pregnant person, you notice every kid, it affects every relationship that you're in. And that causes a lot of tension in between two people living under the same roof and your sex life is affected. And It took Kyle and I sitting down and seeking out a therapist and working at it to realize like, okay, we need to take a deep breath. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of hormones added into this equation on top of it all. And we need to get back to being us again. And and I don't think we could have gotten there on our own. It took a third party to kind of sit down and, and throw that time out and be like, guys, you love each other. You're literally fighting over, you know, I mean, with a baby, an act of love, like something great for your family. Like, Isn't that funny? Yeah. Is that a relief? You, I, I, I've never put it that way. I'm getting goosebumps and, and a little mo- and a little emotional because this is very, very, like I said, very connected to my story. But you're right. You're fighting over love, creating and adding love into the world. You're fighting over more love. Mm-hmm. And it takes sometimes, and this is why I'm a big proponent of therapy, it takes individual and couples therapy in order to just hit that reset. Because you also have to realize going back to the hormones and the emotions, you've got doctor's appointments nonstop. You've got shots. (sighs) And it's a lot to handle for any couple, you know, no matter how solid your marriage is, it's it's overwhelming at times. And, and I will say, I am so glad that we 
got to the point that we did where we had to seek counseling because the trials we've faced afterwards with another, you know, miscarriage and all that, we now have the tools to give each other what we need during those trials where at other times we just couldn't figure out how, and I'm sure you hear this a lot. We had two completely different coping mechanisms and when those don't mesh, then it's just more fights. And now we understand each other and it's, crazy. You would think after a decade of marriage, you would know how to talk to your partner, but sometimes it takes a therapist to be like, guys, come on, let's, let's pause. We're going to get through all this. Well, I appreciate you giving a huge plug for your book, which is so important and for therapy, because <laughs> as so I specialize in relationships, it's one of my specialties as a therapist, you're hitting the nail on the head of what couples therapy is sometimes. And usually a lot of times about it's that idea of helping take a pause and understand the other person just a little bit deeper, no matter how long you're married. But I want to talk about something a little bit that you, you really touched on just in this, this last beautiful uh, statement and rant a little bit in a good way. Um, Sorry. <laughs> it makes my job so much easier. So keep ranting with the amazingness. That's all I ask for. Um, but the idea of the pressure. So you come from an Italian background. I come from a Jewish background. I'm an Orthodox Jewish man, and we have a lot of big families, and we have friends who are popping out kids all the time. And one of the hardest things for my wife and I was being in the same quote-unquote state of life, whether a couple of years married, whatever the number was, wherever we were living, our jobs, wherever we started in our careers and all those things, and not having a kid. And all the holiday meals, kids, all the Sabbath meals, kids, conversations, about kids. Everything was just surrounded about children. And it felt like someone was taking it and shoving it in our faces consistently that we don't have kids. Ha ha ha. And, and no one was doing that. By no means was anyone actively trying to make us feel bad, but it felt like a dagger in the heart every time we didn't, or we had a bad news. Now, now the interesting about our story is that my wife knew she had PCOS so she knew that something potentially could be a problem and was aware of it and acted very quickly, faster than a lot of people would because, oh, right? Oh, a year. It's not a year yet. You're newlyweds. Maybe you didn't try the right position. Maybe the thing isn't right. Put your legs up. Do this. Do that. Whatever the weird things and advice that doctors give and friends or family give. Um, you know, the moon is not in the right setting. Whatever weird things we hear. <laughs> You're like, yes, I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> but we went right away to doctors and they're like, oh, you both have infertility issues. And we're like, oh, what does that mean? And then it was this very hard lesson to learn what it meant, to understand why we were in so much pain. And yes, the, the hard part, I think, for us and what you talked about is the consumption. You're consumed. Shots, doctor's appointment, this, that, and you lose the beauty of the relationship because you're so focused on the task where the relationship really becomes task-focused and goal-oriented and very much sterile. In the yeah. idea of like schedule, time, this, that, that, that. And it's not the, the love and enjoyment. And of course, that happens sometimes when you have a life. But that being the entirety of the relationship is so, can be so destructive for the relationship because you forget and lose sight of why you're together wanting to bring a child into this world. 
So I love that you bring that layer in because it's super important. I know for my wife and I, I talk about this all, often and open that this struggle that we went through created the viewpoint of us being each other's rocks for each other. That not that we didn't have it before, but was so much more solidified. What were some of the things, if you don't mind me asking, that really maybe solidified that viewpoint or maybe some of the special things, if you're okay with, of course, confidentiality, couples therapy, all that stuff. I respect that a thousand percent. What are some of the lessons that kind of created that healthier viewpoint for the relationship so that people who are listening, who are going through that relationship struggle can maybe get a little more ease or comfort? Yeah, so I would say one thing um, that really helped Kyle and I throughout all this and that I thought was really beneficial to, like you said, being each other's rocks was, you know, once I learned I had PCOS and he had male factor and we did all the things and we were, you know, going down the path of IVF, he was the one who really took charge of the shots. And he, like, I would make this big, you know, color coded graph and like check the boxes and make sure, but at night, like the needles really stressed me out, especially in the beginning. Me too. I did the shots. Yeah. And so he would be like, sit on the couch. I got this. And of course the first night I'm like watching him measure and I'm sweating and (laughs) all going into me. And he was like, just sit down. It's fine. And like, he really took charge of that and took that whole piece of having to figure that all out from me. And it just, it really made the process a lot easier. Um, and then one thing that I found important, he would rework his schedule, like not every appointment. Sure. I don't need him to be with me at a blood appointment, like a blood, but like on the big appointments, he would make sure to be there because I know his strength. He's very analytical and he's going to listen. The first time they say something to me, like, when they said I had PCOS, I heard the word syndrome and I was like, I'm dying. I'm dying. And I stopped listening to everything that they were saying and just went into like, what's happening mode. And so, you know, having him there, we would, but then by the end of it, we would both be taking notes, getting all of our questions in a line. And that was really good. And then I would say one of the biggest things that we learned from therapy is just because a coping way is the way that you do it, you should not expect that that is the way that your partner is going to heal. Um, Amen to that. I'm sure there's a lot of couples out there listening or you've heard from them. So he was the person after the miscarriage that was like, this is terrible. This is sucks. There's nothing we can do about this. We need to now figure out the next steps and move on to reach our goal. I am the person who I'm like, I want to talk about it. I want to grieve. I want to not relive it, but I need you to feel what I'm feeling. So if you're not crying, I'm angry because you need to feel as sad as I'm feeling. And it sounds silly, but I have talked to so many women that the same things that because we're sitting there in tears of agony and our husbands aren't, we're like, well, don't you care as much? Did you not want the baby as much as we did? Like, explain it to me. And, you know, there's so much tension and and you and couples start not talking to each other with respect. And then it just, it's like a volcano. It just yeah. blows up. And so that's one thing we learned is that, you know, I need things to cope. He needs things to cope. Even though our styles aren't the same, we have to respect it and we have to be there for each other. And so the greatest thing that our therapist said, because I could talk about, I think this is why I do so many podcasts. They're like free therapy for me. Um, 
I would want to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk over and over and over and over. And for Kyle, that was very stressful. And so our therapist was like, that's it. Pick a time limit, 20 minutes. And we would set our phones for 20 minutes and I would talk, but he had to actively talk back. He couldn't just face out or look at Twitter or look out the window. He had to engage with me. And then my needs were met. I got to talk about it. He got to be there for me, but in a not five hour, like drawn out time frame. And we both started to get what we needed to start to build those layers to grieve, to, co- to close, to go on to our next step. That is so important. I don't think you, I, I know you understand, but for the listeners who might understand just from a therapist perspective, what an amazing tool that can be a timer. A timer can be the biggest savior of your marriage because it puts a concrete ability to have the time to connect when someone can and when they're available and it's not forever. Not that you don't want to be there forever, but sometimes you can't. And it doesn't mean they don't love the person. It means you want to love them how you're able to as much as you possibly can. And doing these little things is so important why therapy is so helpful because it creates a narrative of an objective person who's not biased, who's not emotionally involved, who cares, but isn't so, so involved that they can't see past certain simple things that can be helpful. And I think what you're talking about was one of the lessons I learned the most from the infertility process was the ability to communicate my needs, my wife being able to communicate hers. And now as parents of a beautiful baby, two-year-old, her name is Ricky. We call her the Rickster. I call her the Rickster. My wife calls her like pumpkin and whatever (laughs) cute names. I'm like Rickster. Um, And that has helped with our parenting. Because we now learned how to be able to say what we need in a productive way without feeling judgment or hurt by a statement, but really just, this is my, my partner telling me their needs. How can I help make that happen? And what can I do if I can't? And that is just such an important thing. How is it for you? Like, I know you said you have a family now. Is that weird for you having that family with, um, is it like a weird struggle um, and what it means for the future? Is there any nervousness or stress surrounded because of your journey related to having that family that you've always hoped for? Explain that again. Let's see if I can explain it better. I know for us that when we had, when we had our, our daughter, it was this a huge excitement energy. But the worry in the back of our heads was, will we have to go through this again? What if we want more kids? What happens now? We're excited. We're not, we're not taking away from the joy of having this beautiful bundle of happiness that we've wanted and struggled and shots and needles and appointments and blood work and all the craziness. And even our birth story was a little emergency C-section that scared the living daylights out of me. I thought I was going to lose both my wife and my child. And that I had my first panic attack after my daughter was born. And it was a lot of stuff, but it didn't take away from the joy. But then, of course, a couple months in seven, eight, nine months where the expectation of society like it was before was, okay, so now they had a kid and maybe their issues are solved and maybe our issues are solved. What do we believe? What happens next? Was that something that you struggle with? So now, yes, but I'll back up um, because, gosh, we've been through so many rounds now. Um, I know. Our first round, obviously, was like textbook. We had Brexton. Everything was just exactly how the doctors were like, this is perfect. You got a lot of eggs, which made quality embryos. 
your line was great. The transfer is great. Healthy pregnancy. Boom. Done. So at that time, when Braxton was little, we had started the Bundle of Joy Fund, where that's our foundation. We help other couples pay for their treatments. It's beautiful. We, we just thought, oh, well, God made us go through all this because look at like we're doing good with it. And, you know, it was hard, but we got through it. And so we went into our second round and by then we had shared our story and all these women were reaching out because this is 2015. So still not the social media kind of, you know, people talking about it regularly that it is now. Um, And I was like, oh, you know what we should do is we should just document the whole thing so that anybody getting ready to go through this can see what because I thought it was like very shocking when they give you like two grocery bags full of meds and wait you're sending me home with this I'm not a doctor um no so I was like well if I show everybody this stuff then they're not going to be freaked out because they don't know what's coming so we started recording it all and posting it we go through the embryo transfer we're pregnant everybody knows like like I said rainbows and puppies everything's great And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, right after we announce it, we go through a miscarriage. And that was like, that was really hard and hard understatement. And that's what led us eventually to go to couples therapy and rework on ourselves and our marriage and this and that. So we go through round three and I'm like, okay, I don't want this to be in public at all. I can't handle that pressure. We go through it. Just Kyle and I, not even our families know about it we have a failed cycle meet with the doctors. They're like, we're not sure. Doesn't make sense. You've had a baby lining is great. Embryos are great. Maybe try a surrogate, try a surrogate, go through that, have a failed cycle. So then it's like, what do we do now? Now we're, you know, it was like almost a year in between each time. So this past January, we're like, we're going to start with a new clinic. We're going to exhaust all of our options, right? We're going to know that we tried everything. We go to this new clinic seven years after the first egg retrieval I've done, get quality eggs again, do the transfer, lining's great, get some, I'm going to say, get a positive pregnancy test. Then they tell me it's a topic. Then they tell me, then my numbers shoot up go for the ultrasound. There's like a faint heartbeat. We think delayed implantation, go back for a second ultrasound. Hey, we think we figured it all out. Your embryo split. You might be having identical twins. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Go back at the almost nine, nine and a half week mark. And they're like, they're both gone. So it's just, I don't even know where I was going with that story, but I just wanted to give listeners the whole journey. It's It's a whirlwind for us. The second time there was no fear by this. You're like, is it ever going to work again? And, and now I feel so much for people at secondary infertility because now you have a child invested in this journey as well. And you know, our son, we've, he doesn't know the full extent of everything. Um, but he knows that he has some sisters in heaven and and all those things, but he's, he's six. He just had his first day of school the other day and we're doing all the things, right. I got him a big yard sign and he's got, cause we homeschool. So it was like his first day in meetup. So 
I wanted to make it big because, Why not? you know, for homeschool, you got to go a little bit bigger because yeah. it's, it's different. Um, so we're doing all the things and I get him his sign and we're sitting on the front porch and taking all the pictures and getting our Pokemon backpack together. And he looks at me and he goes, this would be a lot more fun if I had a sister here to take pictures with me. And it's just like, yeah. what do you say? Yeah. You know? And you're like, you're right. It would. And he's like, well, all my other friends get to take pictures with their brothers and sisters. Why don't I have that? Or every time we go to church, you know, the brothers and sisters walk in to the little like class together and he walks in alone and he mm-hmm. always looks and goes, am I ever going to get to have somebody to walk in with? And you're like, I'm trying. I'm trying, you yeah. know, and it just adds. It's on the one hand, so wonderful because for couples that don't, that are still struggling to have one, it's amazing to get to see them walk. And I'm sure, you know, like the mama, the dada, the, I love you, the smiles, and that's all so great. But then the secondary infertility, it's like when you're a parent, you want nothing more than to make all the dreams of your children come true. And hard to explain to a six-year-old, like it's just not working right now. And that's hard and they don't have a concept of time or, or all those things. And so it adds a, an extra layer of the anxiety for the whole process, I guess. Yeah. That, that's a beautiful way. And my eyes started filling up with tears. Cause I know for us, uh, we had a failed transfer after Ricky. Um, and I can say this now because of when the episode is airing, um, that, uh, my wife is pregnant and it's really exciting, but, we had a positive pregnancy test and got so excited because of the fear of knowing of what might go wrong or what might not work um, that certain family members bought uh, a T-shirt for my daughter to say, you're going to be a big sister, preempting excitement, all out of love, all out of love. And I was really angry when the transfer didn't work. Um, because I was so just annoyed at what to do with this t-shirt and and she didn't see, we didn't tell my daughter anything. I didn't want to just, just in case I was worried. Um, and I'm happy I didn't show her that, but it filled me up with so much pain because of the up of the excitement of maybe having a kid. And, And now my wife looked at me and said, I don't know if I can do this again. I don't know if I can go through this energy of the shots. We had one time, I don't know if you can relate to this, for about five or six months, she was having nightly shots in her butt. Nightly shots. Six months straight. Right? That is such a struggle where you can't go out. I had to cancel plans. She had to cancel plans just so we can have the shot and go to a bed at a normal hour without it being such a burden where we get so angry about the process. And we can hopefully move forward. My wife looked at me. She's like, Ellie, I don't know if I can do this again. And I said, I don't know either. And it was just this very dark moment in our, in our journey that now we can look back and go, who cares? Because now we have, you're pregnant. But still, every time the baby doesn't kick or move, my wife has the fear. And that's something I think is so hard 
that I don't think I'm not trying to make other people feel bad who don't go through the struggle, but I don't think people who don't go through infertility understand the fragility of how hard it is to have kids and what it means to lose the potential of having a family. No, I completely understand where you're coming from because with infertility, the pregnancy is so exciting, but you don't ever get the 100% excitement. It's a different percentage, I think, for every couple, depending on what they've been through. But there's always the, but what if this happens? Or this happened last time. What if that happens again? You know, and and it's hard. And it's it's also as great as all the community support is, it also really opens up your eyes to, you know, you think, okay, when I get past this, we're safe. And then you hear somebody's story or I made it all the way to this, like, oh, we're golden. No, because this happened to so-and-so and And it's hard. And and you try not to let it take your joy away, but it's even like after this last failed cycle, I will never believe a pregnancy test again because I didn't even so far down the line that a blighted ovum for those listening, you can apparently your body thinks you're pregnant and you are growing the sac that a baby lives in, but it can be completely empty and you will have morning sickness and all the things that go along with pregnancy. And there will not actually be a baby in there. And for somebody who did IVF, I'm like, no, but I saw you put an embryo in there. Like I, saw the baby go in where does it go like what happened and how did it split and like what I don't understand and and it's hard and there's so much with infertility that I feel like you learn and and I was so glad that I shared that because I literally had a girl I kid you not like three days ago and she said I just went in I had a, a blighted ovum we because you shared it I knew what it was and not that it makes this any easier, but at least I was like comprehending what was happening instead of just like free falling. Yeah. So it's hard, but I would never regret sharing any part of our story because things like that have been sent to us all the time. Um, During COVID, a husband reached out to me and with all the COVID protocols was not allowed to go in for his wife's DNC. And he goes, I don't know what to do. Will you help me write her a letter? What do I say? And so we worked together on what to say. And he sent her in with this letter and her and him wrote me and were like, if if you hadn't talked about your miscarriage, we wouldn't have had this. And not that it makes it any easier, but it makes us feel less alone, you know? Yeah. So the last two questions before we talk about your amazing foundation um, is how do you handle that? responsibility or that maybe I'm not putting words to it, but maybe the pressure of having the the book or being maybe the face of infertility for a lot of people and your journey and being contacted and reached out. Um, how, how do you handle that while going through your stuff as well? Um, it's kind of twofold. So sometimes I feel bad because I'll try to get to everybody and it, and it's hard and that makes me feel guilty for not being able to get to everybody. Um, sometimes connecting with other women helps me grieve and heal from my own journey. And then sometimes I'm like, did all of this really suck to go through? Yeah. But I think that God does everything in your life for a reason. Um, I'm a very big proponent of that idea. I'm 
always have been that person that like, if we're in an elevator, I'll be the one who's like, Hey, I talk to everybody. So, you know, I'm honored, I guess, that people would come to me and tell me something so personable when they don't even know me. Um, it, it is really personal stuff that they share. And so I don't have all the answers. I always tell people like, this is, I can only say this from what I've gone through or from what I've said, but you know, there's a lot of moments that were hard through this journey, but there's so many more moments now that people are like, this made such a difference for me. This helped me so much. Thank you for doing this. And you're like, wow, that's kind of cool. That something so dark and ugly and sad and scary could also be so beautiful in different ways. Yeah. You know, uh, I recently listened to a podcast with Justin Baldoni and Jay Shetty and, uh, Jay Shetty's a monk and, and all these amazing things that he's done. And he, his biggest takeaway from being a monk is the idea of service to others and how, when we start serving the world, how much return we get and not out of a selfish way, but out of the goodness of an opportunity. And I think when we look at the opportunities we have in the world, whether it's writing a book, a podcast, talking to a friend, social media contacts or something like that, and we're able to give that person some hope and love and care and empathy, that in turn helps us so much more than what we actually did for that person. I completely agree. Like times that somebody will reach out to me to share their story or talk through something and, or to ask me something about our journey And it helps me heal a little bit from what we've been going through, or it might help me put something into perspective that I might've been, you know, just wrapped up in my own feelings or my own emotions or my own life. And it kind of makes you hit pause and be like, Oh, wow. Like stop, breathe, refocus. So I love that. So, you know, you have this foundation the last couple of minutes. I want to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can reach out to you and what your foundation is all about and how they can find it out and maybe donate. Yes. Okay. I'm going to go on my soapbox to be ready. Um, so our foundation is called the bundle of joy fund. It started in 2015, obviously after we went through IVF and realized just how expensive it can all be. Um, and it was really heartbreaking. You know, I'm sure you remember when you and your wife were sitting in the waiting room, you hear things, you see things. And I just remember this couple and he was just had the weight of the world on his shoulders, right? Like, how am I going to pay for this? Like, this is our only option. Where am I going to come up with $20,000 that insurance doesn't really help with? And we realized right then and there that we needed to make a difference. And so we started the Bundle of Joy Fund. I am so excited. This December, we will finally hit our million-dollar mark of granting. Um, And so right now, we help um, couples in Charlotte through this clinic called Reach, which is where we went, but we're hoping to expand in 2022. Side note, we should have been expanded by now, but COVID happened and, you know, life. Um, but it's just, it's so exciting when you get to bring a couple in and tell them that they've received this grant. Yes, they're still going to have to go through the physical and the emotional stressors that go along with it. But just, especially with the males, I always watch them because it is like a visible weight is lifted off their shoulders. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, because I think a lot of times males feel like, how am I going to, my wife, how am I going to do this for her? You know, I need to be able to do this. And, and what I tell people is I'm very frustrated. This is my soapbox that infertility, which is classified as a disease is not covered by insurance, but other things are, um, 
I, like your wife, never asked for my ovaries to be dysfunctional. I didn't do any closet. If a different body part of mine was not functioning properly, insurance would most likely cover it. But for some reason, ovaries, any reproductive organs are like excluded for why I don't know. And it's very frustrating to me. Um, And the couples that we help are police officers, firefighters. Here's a great one. Former military. So when a lot of our active military, you know, it's hard to go through treatments and everything when they might be gone and former military, um, public school teachers, nurses, there's just so many hardworking people that choose jobs that serve their community, but then when they turn around and want to build their own families, there's no financial support. Yeah, you're right. It's so hard. And I really appreciate all you're doing. There will be a donation opportunity. I know my wife and I are going to donate to the organization. Um, But really, um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on in today's episode and bringing so much honesty and rawness to the conversation that needs to happen more and more and giving so much support to those that need it, Samantha. It really is amazing. Just so amazing to get to talk with you. I do a lot of podcasts, but I feel like you and your wife have gone through so many of the similar, not only processes through IVF, but emotions. So it's nice to be able to have a very open conversation that people can listen to it and kind of see a little bit of maybe their own journeys and ours or what they might be facing. Yeah. I really appreciate Samantha. Well, thank you so much. I'm sorry. I'm glad we made it through almost the whole thing before our video. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. Thanks so much. Awesome. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of the dude therapist And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, Email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist podcast. We've got more guests and more great content coming your way.